Hey, today's episode of The Champs is brought to you by AudiblePodcast.com slash The Champs. AudiblePodcast.com slash The Champs for all your audiobook needs. You know we've made fun of your illiteracy before, right? How you can't read because you dumb. We're going to double down on that dumb. You dumb. You dumb. You so dumb. You so dumb. Uh, if you go to AudiblePodcast.com slash The Champs, you will get a free audiobook download uh, when you open a membership. Free. A free audiobook. You're driving around in your car thinking to yourself, I'm dumb. I want to get better. I want to know so more. I'm so dumb. You just got into an accident because yep, you're you so dumb. you can't read signs. Yep. It says yield and you thought it said yellow and so yeah. you just went for it. Huh? Ye- uh, listen. Okay. So so what have you been reading, Mosh? I actually liter- literally downloaded an audiobook from Audible. I literally downloaded an audiobook from Audible, and it was called Strange Fishes by Sarah Vowell, and it's a history of the Hawaiian Islands. It's a good book. Audiblepodcast.com slash the champs. Dot com slash the champs. What have you been reading? I've been reading, you know, I love showbiz. Sure. Who doesn't? Um, Norman Lear has a book. Uh, you can imagine our feeling a kinship, me feeling a kinship with Norman Lear, writing, you're, writing you're, racially tinged right. comedy. Even uh, this, I must something. Uh, even this, even this, I get to experience. Uh, great audiobook. What do you want to uh, know more about? Podcast.com slash the champs. Also, Polar got a book um, called Yes, Please. It's the good. great Amy Polar, if we included white people on the show. It's got sex tips. She would be on there. She's offered to be on the podcast. And I said, no, thank you. We only accept people that are not white. Um, Go so, to audiblepodcast.com forward slash the champs. Get a free audiobook of your choosing right around in your car and stop being so dumb. You a sucker. Don't be dumb and a sucker. Yeah, you Go to audiblepodcast.com slash the champs. Let's do some dates, Moshe. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Hello, folks. Hey. It's Chaboy, Moshe Kasher. I got a bunch of dates coming up in February. I'll be in San Francisco Sketchfest this very weekend. And then I'm going to Traverse City, Michigan for the oh, Winter Comedy Arts Festival. I was going to go, and I... It was, I wish you were I, coming. It's literally too cold for me. Yeah, it sounds um, cold. But it's with Michael Moore and Bill Maher and Doug Benson and Natasha Zier and other fun people. So go there if you're you in You should the, try to have sex with Natasha. Uh, maybe Nikki. Maybe Nikki Glazer. What? Oh, you're no, probably my girlfriend. Listen, also I'll be in... Um, speaking of festivals, February 20th, I will be in Vancouver, British Columbia at the Biltmore Cabaret as a part of that comedy festival and there's a bunch of other fun stuff coming salt lake and chicago and you know seattle area san antonio and that traverse city pays fair yeah they pay good yeah. go to uh, motioncasher.com for all dates. for your dates for all, all your dates dating. neil brennan's coming to uh, neil brennan third person neil brennan neil brennan to arlington virginia march 27th money. 28th get and they that pay draft fair, don't they? house money they pay fair they're fair paying <laughs> i want to encourage people to pay comics fairly that's a really uh, good thing. March 27th, 28th, uh, new hour from the last time I was there. I may try my more theatrical hour, my three mic hour. Okay. Um, which you, you have three have hours now. You've got the old hour, the new hour, and the three <laughs> yeah. mic hour. Uh, that uh, So come there, and I may be in um, Nashville during the Vince Vaughn Wild West uh, Comedy Festival in Nashville. Now they pay in, in fair. April. They pay in gold nuggets. They right? pay. I believe the gold term nuggets is garbage. And, uh, gold nuggets and beans, right? Yeah, Never. but it's as a, yeah. They pay baked beans, and you get some kindling for hey, your fire. Listen, we're also going to do a new. I haven't told Neil this, but I'm going to tell him now. We're going to do another T-shirt contest soon. What? Okay, so soon. think about your T-shirt designs. Maybe submit your T-shirts. To, You're your, like a horrible stepdad. 
with yeah. our audience. We're like, guys, I'm coming back. Listen, T-shirt. Uh, there's going to be a contest it's any time, one of these days. Time for a new T-shirt. And then someone comes out and goes, Moshe got sick and fell asleep. No, no, you no. Listen, you know what? We'll do it right now. Fuck it. We'll do it right now. We'll do it right now. Listen. Email your T-shirt designs to emailthechamps at gmail.com, and we will pick some winners, and we, you will get a shout-out right here on the air, and we will manipulate you and get uh, get that money. Uh, By the way, no. have you been on that email address in a long time? No, but I'm going to reopen <laughs> it. I can get in there. I feel good about email it. Emailthechamps.com. Emailthechamps at gmail.com. Submit your T-shirt designs, and you could be the designer of the 2015 hotness. You will be exploited, but we will... Claim that it's crowdsourced. So you know. It's a new term for exploitation of audiences. So you know we've never made dime one on those t shirts. That's the truth. We well, that's your fault, though. How is that my because fault? Because you put us with a shitty t shirt company. That is not true, and they're probably listening. <laughs> Edit that out. Champs. Now you're fucking with the champs. A natural born hustler got to make that cash. A natural born feet, she gotta shake that ass. Anybody trying to eat, they gotta break that fast. Million crabs in a barrel wanna make they splash. The quick way fast. Nice niggas finish and last. It don't matter, yo, the speakers or the hammer for black. I handle your ass. You slipping, I'ma take your stashes. Black ink. What you think? All right, here we go. We're going? Yeah, it's this happening. is real. This is, <laughs> this is happening, motion. It's morning. It's the first champs morning. This is a champs morning. We're yeah. we're champs morning, everyone. Uh, we're in the Four Seasons Hotel. Of course, we are. Yes. Um, and uh, it's ten forty. Uh, we tried to do this last week, didn't work. Um, we're with Tariq Trotter of Black Thought from the Roots. Now, first of all, I'd like to say how I like that you've you've had to phase out Black Thought. Yeah. <laughs> Why like, is that? Because it's just no one. NBC didn't want nobody named yeah. Black Thought. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. The Tonight Show featuring Black Thought. <laughs> yeah, it's to like, be honest, you know, that's kind of what, what I figured. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I was just thinking about that on the walk from my car here, which is like, The Roots is The Tonight Show's band. It's like, some. does it feel like the biggest full circle of hip-hop possible? It like, does. It does, usually. You know, um, it's like, you know, who'd, who'd have thought? Um, no, but here we are. And time is flying. It's like we're shit six years in, but uh, yeah, I definitely feel like, uh, for reference' sake, like uh, who, I don't want. Yeah, I, I think it would be a lot more awkward for Jimmy to have to refer to me every night. So black, you know, yeah. it's just, it, it just <laughs> yeah. it's weird. So you know, I, I decided early on, hey, you know, I'm, I think I'm gonna go with the, the government for this. And you know, people often <clears throat> ask. Hey, how come you know Jimmy calls Questlove Questlove and you know calls you Tariq? And I'm like, well, my name is fucking Black Thought, and you know it's just it would be it would be weird. You know? Yeah, if Amir's name was Big Dick, <laughs> you know Big Dick, no, Big, Big Dick, Dick Willie, exactly. or whatever, it wouldn't be like Big Dick. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about when I used to, well, I opened for Bruce Bruce twice, and uh, his feature act, the middle dude, was a comedian named Black Boy. Oh shit! And so I had to go up and perform 50 minutes to a largely uninterested crowd, <laughs> and then at the end of my set, be like, okay, well that's my time, folks. Let's introduce Black. <laughs> Black boy, and they didn't know that who this person was, and yeah. that I wasn't just being some racist piece of shit. And he shit. probably didn't say like, "No, my no, name is Black Boy." He probably never even mentioned. It. And I just ran to the back of the room. I was like, "Let him figure it out." Right. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so six years has flown by, though. Yeah. It, yeah, because I remember the first week. Yeah, no shit. I remember the first week, and you guys were like, man, just all this, like, <laughs> we can't do this. And I was just like, it. And I remember saying to you, like, it's the third night. Right. Like, relax. <laughs> like, you guys were like, man, we can't. And it was like, yo, chill the fuck out. You're going to be fine. Yep. Uh, but the, it has been a huge. Um, you're glad you did it, right? I am. I'm usually glad. I'm usually glad I did it. Um, you know, there have been occasions on which I'm like, why, why did I do this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess as in any marriage. Yeah. I'm sure Jimmy thinks the same thing. Yeah. Like yeah. with doing the, like, just like, why did I really, I mean, I feel like there are times, guys- I mean, yeah, no, from the outside in, it's like perfect. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Watching it, you go, wow, this show is defined by this band right. as much as it is by Jimmy, you know, right, yeah. which is a trip too. You never ever have had a tonight show where the the band matters as much as the, as you I, guys. I, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. But yeah, I also agree that yeah, there have to have been times where he's like, you know, what, why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just a lot of work. It is. That's what I feel like you guys are like, I feel like you guys are on a cruise ship. <laughs> it's the best cruise ship it's in the world. Cruise, yeah, it's sure. the best cruise ship in the world. But you yeah, literally can't get off. Exactly. You can't get off and like it's a lot and it's like you have to be there. It's a ton of downtime, but you can't get off. Yeah. You know, it's it's all encompassing with regards to to time. And you know, even even more so now that uh you know, we're doing the tonight show. With late night, there was an extra month. You know, in the year within which, you know, we could kind of play. Um, but now, you know, do, work in any place five days a week for 44 weeks a year, you're stuck on that ship. Is it 44 weeks? It's 44 Jesus, weeks. Jesus, that's a, I gotta say, that's a lot. That's a fucking lot. Yeah. Have you, have you noticed any difference in the reaction of America to you from late night versus being on the tonight show? Is there any difference? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that there's that much difference, but I'm definitely uh, recognized more mm-hmm. by people who totally surprise me. Like sometimes I forget that, um, you know, like what I do every day. And I'm like, why is this you know, old white lady just fucking all down my throat? Why is she calling you Kevin Hancock? And she's like, you know, <laughs> no. And, you know, so, and, you know, I could be anywhere. And a woman would be like, I know you. That's cool. And it will be like, you know, not you're that guy from that rap band. It's like you're Tariq. You know, and it's just weird. It's a different type of, uh, you know, uh, personality to it. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, she knows my government name and she, you know, she watches the show every day. She's seen me act a fucking fool. It's not like, you know, she recognizes me from my music. Right. Nine times out of ten, like, the people who are, the middle America people who are Tonight Show fans, they're not really up on my discography. You know, like they know me from shenanigans, like freestyling with the roots and slow jamming the news and shit. And I mean, that's cool, but um, I, f- I definitely feel like that happens more. I'm recognized now more by the Tonight Show or from the Tonight Show than uh, than you know from the roots. People who are into the roots, you know, kind of still know me from the roots. But right. you know, there's this whole new demographic of, of people who only know us, you know, from the roles that we play on the Tonight Show. Is there a part of you that just is like, let me make peace with it? Meaning, like, the, I mean, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. you and you are interested in performing beyond. Can you turn the dot? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, performing outside of just rapping. Yeah. I mean, almost all of me, you know, recognize that. 
recognizes that I have to make a peace with it. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's what. Kind yeah, of gets but that's the thing about. That's the thing about when I whenever rappers want to be actors, I'm like, well, okay, you know, ra- acting sucks. Right. <laughs> you know, it's the worst, right? You know that. Hey, Andre 3000. You know, your might work once a year, not including your razor ads. Like, you ain't working. You don't fuck Ti. I'll call you twice a year, so you're gonna work two and a half years a week, uh, two and a half weeks a year as an actor. Otherwise, just you're the the idea that there's this this acting Shangri La. Like Kama got lucky, yeah, in that he's on a series, but no one sees the series, so it's like, so it's like I guess he's on a series. It's like I, a tree that fell in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that should be the name of the show. That should be the name of the show. Tree falls in the woods. Uh, yeah, I, but I was trying to think: is the Roots the most likely or the least likely band to have become America's Tonight Show band? Like, it's such a weird because you guys are so musically talented and so such musicians, mm-hmm. and also so avant have always been so avant garde and 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 interesting mm-hmm. and revolutionary and, think, and yeah. a- anti sort of Tonight Show. It's such yeah. a weird. Yeah. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think I think we're the both. I think we're the most and least likely, you know. Um, and that's I think that adds to the allure, you know. I think people like lots of diehard fans who have kind of been riding with us like from the beginning. They uh, are drawn into the Tonight Show, wanting to not like it. They're like, let me look at this bullshit, fucking, you know, see the, the roots selling out. And then there's just this delicate balance, you know, within which we don't necessarily. You know, sell out. You know, as much as they expected us to, and then, um, you know, there's another demographic of people who are, you know, kind of tuning in to, you know, watch, you know, to to get some insight into the world of, you know, the angry black musician, and you know, we don't that's we don't necessarily do that shtick on the show either. So, um, the fact that there's such a delicate balance and that it is balanced, which has always been an issue. or a concern for us in our career, um, I feel like that plays out uh, on the Tonight Show now. But at the same time, I don't like the idea of you guys being sort of. I mean, avant garde for sure, but like there was never a. You were never public enemy. You know what I mean? No, like, no, like, but, and that's I, true. Yeah, go on. Uh, no, yeah, we, we were never public enemy, but um, we were super uh, inspired by them, and you know, there's for a, real, yeah, of course, public enemy, yeah. Album. Some of those spoken word pieces on those albums were straight yeah. up like they were not easy listening. Yeah, they no. were fucking. I don't know if militant is the right word, but they were discomforting and they were intense. Absolutely, absolutely. As were you know, as you know, lots of the lyrics that I've written and, and that other artists who have featured on you know Roots material have been. Um, I don't feel like I've ever pulled any punches or necessarily bitten my tongue. So I'm often surprised, like, you know, wow, how, you know, I never, with all that I've said, you know, how come no one has ever kind of, you know, dug up my lyrics and, you know, made yeah. something that I, I've said before an issue, you know, um, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's just the Michelle Bachman thing. That's it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that was the a lyric. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah and it, that's Amir's fault anyway. Um, pretty much. <laughs> 
I'll go on record, and I know we're in your hotel room, but I will say, you know, so this will seem like I'm sweating you, but I think you're one of the best of all time. I th- oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, you are great. There's no you're question great. in my mind. You're one of the one of the best. Thank you. Um, and the roots in general are probably... <laughs> Does any MC not agree with that statement? But I, but and the roots, I think, are probably the best live hip-hop but that music, but that's also like the only, you're kind of the only one. Yeah. So yeah. it's like they're the best. It's like yeah, but no one else even <laughs> tries. Well, oh, in terms of the yeah. live performance, yeah, because yeah. no, it's that's too expensive, true. right? And it's also not. I mean, you guys, it took you a long time to kind of make the money back. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, <laughs> right, you're the right. you spent the money yeah. and you won the long game. Yep. But I'm sure you were looking at fucking in 1997 looking at a bill looking at like a settle <laughs> out a tuba, like, a tuba player bill doing? like motherfucker. Exactly. You're like, "Quest, why do we bother with all this shit?" <laughs> like fucking it, but it worked out. And that's yep. the thing of like right. that's where it's not surprising cuz you are you guys are the like in terms of like versatility you can do any like and i just yeah. james and, and amir and 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 you and um kirk are like fucking great musicians so it's yeah, not thank you. that's the thing that's not like but it wasn't always a big band right i no. think i saw you guys when i was 17 in new york and i think uh wyclef came somewhat it was and it was mm-hmm. it was a much smaller much more the sound was smaller and there were yeah. there were not tubas right absolutely yeah no t- no horns back then and one one person on the keyboards right like you know uh, out, out of the box it was just amir myself and an upright bass played by uh, uh this kid josh abrams and um then jewish yep jewish oh, kid. man i like Moshe. him he's he might be one of the best bass players of all time <laughs> just having heard that Moshe. and then <laughs> and then we we incorporated uh you know we incorporated elements of scott storch uh into the band he wasn't officially in, in the the square roots roots at that time but uh he was a kid who would hang around the studio where we recorded our demo which people and then he stole from james and went and made records with dr dre that's 100 percent true oh yeah yeah the uh ding 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 the uh, still dre is basically stolen from that thing which james poiser wrote anyhow but doesn't get credit for it anyhow you know lots of james has done lots of shit you know and not gotten credit for it but um yeah, yeah, you know, we started off like really, really scaled down and just gradually added all these different elements in the into the band to kind of continually reinvent ourselves. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, just when you were going to give up on the roots, we got a triangle now. <laughs> you know? Just what hip hop's been wanting. I bet y'all <laughs> wondering who that is in the back. <laughs> exactly. Another white guy, you know. Um, so, uh, just like laying that that groundwork for the Tonight Show. Like, oh uh, my guy! Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I want to open that. Can you crack it a little yeah. bit? Um, okay, so let's go back. All right, so you let's go because I've done some research, which is rare on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, grew up in Philly, yep. and uh, fairly rough family shit. Hold on, let's wait for you to get back on the mic. Turning on the AC. Yeah, yeah. All right, Philly, so so definitely. and rough family. <clears throat> yes. Um, specifically. Um. Well, I grew up in uh, an Islamic family. Like you know, both my parents were were. I'm out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> both my parents were Muslims, but they were part of uh, you know. Oh, 
this uh, an Islamic community in Philadelphia that was all that was like Muslims by day and gangsters by night. So you know, there's a book called uh, Black Brothers Inc., which is uh, based you know, I mean, it's documentary information about the Philadelphia Black Mafia, and you know, my father is mentioned in that book, and you know, his uh. I guess he, the role that he played within that organization is mentioned, and there's mention of you know his the the, the demise that he met, which was he was murdered uh, at, at the age of 26 or 27 when I was you know uh, less than two years old, and um, you know from that point on, uh, what sort of stuff were they into? Just um, regular hood, like just regular, regular. You know, selling drugs, uh, you know. Um, check in credit card fraud uh my dad had this ring of uh you know he was the head of a team that would rent uh luxury vehicles with checks you could do all sorts of shit with checks back then and uh, he would just never return the cars and take them and sell them great you know ball, you know, baller shit yeah I swear <laughs> i feel like philadelphia when there's dudes on this podcast from philadelphia it is the most intense shit that i hear like when keith it was keith yeah. robinson right it's always like Philadelphia seems like the pinnacle of like, wow, that was fucked up. Well, yeah. it used to be in the late eighties. It was the murder capital of the. I mean, yeah, it was like yeah. the the worst. I remember in Oakland when we were on the murder capital, we all the kids would like celebrate and, and brag about it every year. Oh, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah we're, we're the murder sure. capital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, you know. And that's a, it's it's weird, but you know, whatever city is the current murder capital, uh, at, you know, of the of the moment, you know, murder capital du jour. So to speak, uh, they kind of yeah big big that up. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> what no, it's really stupid. It's really like, stupid. Yeah, you know, coming to you live from the studio. <laughs> you know what I'm saying fucking murder capital. You know, yeah, you bang bang boys. You know, uh, it's just weird, man. But uh, it's sad, but but true. So um, yeah, you know, I grew up uh, in, in a rough kind of way, and um, you know, I have an older brother who. Um, Spent a lot of time in, in first in youth homes and and then you know later on in, in you know adult adult state, youth homes state, yeah adult youth <laughs> homes and shit and, uh, you know it, like it's, I've, I've always been told like you know, you know you should do something with your life you know don't be like your don't be like Tommy who was my father and, you know don't be like Keith who's my my older brother um you know, but with it, we, my, my brother and I have different fathers but um. You know, I, I guess like the arts kind of saved my life. Yeah, did it resonate? Were you consciously as a kid like "fuck that"? I'm going to become an artist, or were you? Do you just stumble into music? No, I was. I was always like "fuck that." I'm going to become an artist, but a visual artist. Mm-hmm. So, like, I went to art school. You know, from you know the age of four or five. Uh, on the weekends, on Saturdays, I had art art school. In the summer, I had art camp. You know. Um, I, I was in the art club at my school and got to, you know, do all sorts of special shit and miss classes. Sometimes, you know, I would trade my phys ed, you know, to go and do it, more art. So this, uh, you know, I knew by the time I was in, you know, fifth or sixth grade, definitely that I was going to go to a high school of the arts. I, I just hadn't determined which one. So th- at that time, there were a few kind of artsy, you know, high schools in Philly that I auditioned for, and I gained acceptance into all of them. But the high school for creative and performing arts, like the Fame Art School, was the one that was closest to where I lived. You know, it was in my part of towns, which was South Philly. And Who were you living with at this point? I was living with my grandmother, you know, mostly. Um, but I was living with my mom too. But my mom at that time, you know, that was crack rock eighties. My mom, you know, was was messing with coke and you know, she just was un- unreliable 
So um, I would stay with her sometimes, and other times when I needed a more stable situation, I would be staying with my grandmother. But um, it's weird. I've always had a job. I've never not had a job since I was in second grade. Second grade? Second grade. I got my <laughs> first job, and you know, I've maintained employment since then. Well, wait, what did you do in second grade? Um, I started out as a runner uh, for an, uh, this optical uh, office where they would sell eyeglasses and repair eyeglasses. And I guess at the age of six, I started wearing glasses. And, you know, it was pre, um, you know, sports glasses for kids. So I would, you know, just wear the regular big hard plastic yeah. glasses and then put that little strap on the back that kind of holds it to your head. And I didn't, it wasn't cool. So I would take the strap off and ultimately always break or lose my glasses. And were you, I'm actually curious, were you cool when you were a kid or did, or were you being an art in art school in South Philly in that period of time where people like you're a nerd? Um, what, what was the vibe? In retrospect, I, I mean, I was, I, I always felt cool. I never, you know, was made to feel like, you know, the nerd. Um, you know, I always got girls and I and I always could rap. Like I, you know, I always rapped well. You know, I guess from the age of 8 or 9. So um that that was always a a factor a, a reason. So you were an 8-year-old with a job, you were an MC and you were you getting know, I heard you had two I, kids I, I, by I, the I, age I, of 9, I, you had two I was a two kids. I was. Oh yeah, so, you were not I'm sorry to forget. Right. You were also an art, a visual artist. Yeah, well. so I mean like How come you're more of a Casanova at 8 than most people? You drove are a cab. Yeah. The only the only time the only time that, you know, I would feel like less than cool would be like on a Saturday if you know Guys are, you know, everyone's splitting up to pick sides for some fucking game on the block. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll see you guys later in a couple hours. He's just like, Tariq, where you going, huh? Don't worry about it. Hey, Tariq, what's that big-ass fuck? I used to carry a portfolio that looked like this this uh, roller bag that's sitting behind you. And it's like, how come you got that big-ass briefcase? And, you know, I had that and then, like, a tackle box full of art supplies. And that's when I, I would feel the least cool. It's like, you know, oh, oh that's right. Tariq, he'd be going to art camp and shit. Fingering girls and shit. You what know, a dork. So I mean, you knew, like, sports and all that shit were just, like, not yeah. – you just weren't that interested? I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that interested. You know, I mean, I love to play shit. But, you know, I was more interested in being the coolest kid in the art school. Because it just, like, manifested in you? You were just like, oh, this is my shit? Um, I guess. I mean, it was just kind of my calling. Yeah. You know? So you knew. Even as a little kid, you were like, destiny has some plan for me, arts-wise, or something-wise. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So my, my first job, you know, because I would go to that place to get my glasses repaired, uh, you know, so often because I didn't want to get in trouble when I got home from school, they decided to, you know, dig a little deeper. And they asked me questions like, hey, kid, you know, who takes care of you at home? And you know, they would see, I was a latchkey kid, so they would see my key around my neck, and it's like this poor second grader, I go home. You'd be like, I take care of myself, I got a yeah, 401k. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty <Yeah>. much. <laughs> I, I get home, I make something to eat, I watch Scooby-Doo, my mom you know, gets home from work a couple hours later, and that's just the way it was. Um, you know, She was a housekeeper at a hotel downtown at this time. So they offered you know, to just occupy the time that I had on my hands. They would offer you know, little jobs and shit you want you want to run errands for us you can go and get coffee and sandwiches or you can help us organize you know the drawers and you know that grew into eventually them you know showing me how the glasses were made and you know i would you know, they had this huge german shepherd there and I, I was afraid of dogs at the time but for some reason because it was my job i wasn't afraid to go and fuck with that dog you know so i would go and you know feed the dog and clean up after him and uh you know i guess he was like security there <laughs> 
And, um, you know, I eventually learned how to cut lenses and uh, it, it instilled in me a, a, a super strong work ethic. And that's kind of why I'm never late for shit now. Yeah. Why I take, you know, my job and professionalism so seriously, you know, in retrospect, just looking back, that has to be what, where that began. I mean, how did you muster optimism? In the circumstances that you're talking about coming from, like, do you think it was an accident of fate that you just had the God optimism and knew you'd be okay? Or is it? I think, you know, people always told, like, you know, relatives and, and close friends always told me that, you know, I was destined for something beyond, you know, where, where, where I was at the time. By the way, I feel like you looked pretty much the same when you were like eight as you do now, except for the beard. I feel like I did too. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. I feel like I did too. You see, you see what I'm giving you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Little glasses, yeah. Yeah. German yeah. shepherd, stack of money, a portfolio. Yeah. Hey, I mean, my kids, you know, I tell my kids, you know, when I was your age, I was on my fifth or sixth job and they think I'm bullshitting, but you know, it's true. Like once, once I wet the beak with that, uh, Second grade gig, um, even <laughs> even uh, even during during uh, periods of my life where no one would hire me because I was fucking nine, um, I would just hustle. You know, I would I would wake up early in the morning and go to the factory where they made soft pretzels, and I would just buy racks of those shits while they were warm and come out and fucking sell them. Yeah. You know, at a at a jacked up rate, <laughs> and, I, and I made money. I had a paper route, you know, that I would do in the evenings. I would. Uh, you know, offer to do all the, the the grunt work that people didn't want to do. Folks, you know, own a property and they have to, you know, prepare it between people who are renting it. They got to now go clean out the backyard and the basement and all the rats and roaches and weird shit that homeowners would rather not do. I would do that shit, you know, if you pay me. And um, the, the upside for me working at such a young age was that I just, you know, if there was ever something that I didn't want to do with that I didn't agree with, I would just leave. I would just, you know, there's, yeah. no, there's no paper trail. Yeah, you're know? nine. There's no way to like, get in yeah. touch with you. <laughs> I'm out of here. Like, you know, this is where I draw the line. There's shit. no way to get in touch you know? with you. Yeah, there's no, you don't have a phone. No one had a phone back then. No one had phones. That's funny. Um, okay, so that's an interesting question. about. So do you feel like the self-sufficiency thing was both being sort of encouraged by relatives and also feeling like, well, I have to anyway? Yeah. Like. Like, I have to just because my, my dad's gone and my mom's unreliable? Yeah. You know, um, I, f I felt like it w I had to because, uh, you know, there was, there was a, a certain way that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be comfortable. I wanted to, you know, when kids are saying, hey, we're going to the store to get penny candies or we're going to go to the movies and do X, Y, and Z, I wanted to be able to, you know, to do those things. And I knew that it was uh, a lot. It, my mom couldn't necessarily afford it. You know, we, my, my dad was a veteran, so I would get a monthly check from the VA from his Air Force benefits. And, you know, we would get Social Security. And, you know, that was kind of it. So, um, yeah, I knew I had to do something, so I kind of did it. And I, I was always able to, you know, I could buy sneakers when I wanted to buy sneakers. When you shut down the, you shut down the movie theater, you shut down the mall, yeah, you well, shut I used down. To, I used yep. to shut shit down. You hot pretzels, you go hot pretzels, shut down yeah, the shut pretzel, pretzel factory, water ice stand, whatever. <laughs> you know, I just go and you no, know, uh, I, I, it was kind of a do for self, do for self uh, ethic. Because on this podcast, I've been more, I've been always fascinated with people that get to these levels of. I don't want to say greatness, but greatness of the moment where you go, holy shit, I can be one of the best ever. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you were, you got some lucky accident of genetics or, or, or circumstance where you just knew, no, I'll be, I'm going to be good. I think so. 
I think that's pretty impressive. I think so. And, and at the time, I, you know, it's not something that I was aware of, but, you know, just in retrospect, it has to have been because, you know, so many of my, you know, peers, like all, all, all of my friends, soul crack and you know shot each other and died or went to prison and you just sold the bags you know, to put crack I mean, in i tried to sell crack but i was just horrible at it i was what like, does that mean at, um well you know i wasn't i was a shrewd businessman but i was a crack dealer with the heart of gold. Right, yeah. you, you can't have, <laughs> yeah. you can't have a fucking of heart of gold, set. you know, trying Two to sell. Two for one, shit like that. You know, yeah, shit like that. And, I'll, you know, I would let you pick, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, People on the street are like, have yeah. you tried grinding lenses? Yeah, that exactly. might be more for you. People on, go the, street, pick, go, pick people on the street would be like, yo, go and fuck with him. Like, you know what I mean? That, that's what you want to go cop from. And, you know, I would, they would do the switcheroo on me and you know, it was just weird. But I wasn't, I wasn't selling crack to make money because I would, you know, at that time, I would go to work. You just did it to meet people. I, no. I just did that's it. That's right, I the network. Street cred. I did it for street <laughs> yeah. cred. I would go to work, and, you know, I would make money at my job, and I would get, you know, a check. I was on a tray line uh, serving food at a, a home for uh, for the elderly when I was, like, about 14. And, um, you know, I would come home from that job and, you know, just post up on the corner and sell crack just because that's what all of my friends were doing, and I wanted to, you know, interact with my friends. And um, y'all was just horrible at it. My brother was in the streets, uh, in between prison terms. He was selling crack at that time. And my mom, you know, was, you know, very probably smoking crack at that time. So, you know, they would catch wind of what I was doing and just come back and advise me, like, yo, you should you should leave this alone. Like, it's not really for you. You're like, you don't know what you're doing. Word on the street is. You're not good at it. Yeah, yeah. You're not fucking good at it. <laughs> so. um, Who, the pretzel kid? It was <laughs> weird. By this time, I'd been kicked out of a. Uh, the high school of creative and performing arts. I only, I attended the school for ninth and 10th grade. Is that the place you met a mayor? Yeah. I met a do mayor they there. claim you? They, they claim, you know, we have a, a foundation there now and oh, they, you do. they're okay. so proud of me as alumni, but yeah. You know, and I just don't want to remind them, bitch, you fucking you kicked me out. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. Oh, well, what did you, you got kicked out for messing with a girl. That's not true. No, no. I Amir got, claims I got, that's true, but yeah. it's not true. The reason I was, I was let go was because of uh, attendance issues because I had a job. I worked at Pizzeria Uno. Of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. When I was when I was fourteen, I was a dishwasher. I heard you were too busy being the vice principal of the school. That's right. class. And you owned much. a couple of different Pizzeria Unos around town, correct? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was franchising yeah. Unos. <laughs> And, you know, that took up a lot of my time. The same way, you know, now the Tonight Show takes up 44 weeks yeah. a year. Back then it was the pizza Pizzerias, game. Pizzerias, yeah. So I would get off work. You know, they would close at 2 in the morning. And then I would have to stay until the last last dish was done. And then I would leave and walk home. So I, w- I would begin home from work, you know, at about you know, 3.30 in the morning on a good night. And I had to be back at school at 7.45 in the morning. And we had this thing where if you're late, if you're any later than five to ten minutes late, then you can't go into your first period class. You have to just sit in the auditorium. So I often had to sit in the auditorium during my first period because um, I would be late. I would be coming basically straight from work. And uh, then I would go during my lunch and make up whatever project I was missing. And during the, the this this uh, year in school, my first period class was uh, – was a graphic design class. And my art teacher was this black cowboy named Mr. Sumter. And Mr. Sumter would walk around the hallways with his arms folded with the huge, you know, 10-gallon hat on and some pointy-ass cowboy boots and the fucking 
big, huge bill. Like he was, yeah. he was he, he, everything but the horse. He would mosey down the hallway and say, well, what you're wanting to do, boy, is get yourself into your classes on time. And then maybe you'll be able to get a decent grade. But, you know, without regards to you know, how magnificent the projects are that you submit, I'm unable to give you a decent grade because you, you, you're never in class. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'll come to class. It's just other people's class you know i come and yeah. do what i was supposed to do in my class in your class you know but um he and he could have cut me some slack did and, you say to them like hey i'm working like yeah but you know the, he didn't he didn't mr something didn't give a they're fun. like yo you're nine <laughs> yeah he was he was, <laughs> he, was, he, was, he, was he was really mean and and you know just he it, he it seemed like he didn't want me there he wanted to make an example of me yeah so even though i i mean i think i had like an 89 to 92 average on everything that I submitted in that class. But after he factored in my attendance, it brought me down to, you know, a, a super high D right. or, or a low C and anything below a high C in a class that was your major, you know, they could kick you out. So he kicked me out. Like I could have failed math, English, science, history, yeah. but I couldn't fuck up in an art class. Right. You know, so it was like, Oh, you know, that's what you're here to do. So get out now, you know, back, go back to the hood. And um, you know, uh, it was cool. I was. How cool long did you that. leave? Did they get kicked out for? I was kicked out forever. What do you mean? Oh, all right. So you never like, went back. Was, now get. Like so he said, never, get. Yeah, all right. So you back. and Amir met at that school. Yeah. Then and you started rapping at like you guys did a thing at a talent show or something. Yeah, we started uh, performing together when I was in like the ninth grade, or maybe yeah, towards towards the mid to end end of the semester when I was in ninth grade, and Amir would have been in the tenth grade. Okay. Um, or maybe he was in. A, yeah, I think he was in tenth grade. I think he was just one year. Ahead. Amir kind of claims that he taught you how to be a snob. Um, no, that's not true. <laughs> Amir, yeah, Amir was a a, a nerd. Okay, you know, in school, but um, he was he was a cool nerd. He was he you know he had a, a bohemian thing going. So exactly what he is now. Yeah, pretty ahead. much, you know. But only he had like a Jerry curl, like. Oh, that's But great. not not an afro. He had a Jerry curl that was cut into like the Theo Huxtable shape of. The shag yeah. in the back. Oh, he had like a trench coat yeah, type of yeah, vibe. Yeah, I can see had, it. He I had yeah. one of those kind yeah. of vibes. And um, <laughs> like know, a lady. And he would wear the he yeah. would wear the Dwayne sure. Wayne kind of glasses yep. like, that flip up and shit. And he had this. Uh, you know, back in the day, his parents. You know, he comes from a musical family, obviously, yeah. and his parents were. You know, his dad was a huge doo-wop legend that later formed like a band that was kind of sly and a family stonish. So he would come to school with like remnants of his parents. You know soul band wardrobe on like you know a denim jacket with this crazy hand-painted peace sign on it that looked all psychedelic or you know necklaces with like a black power fist on them you know the, that looked like the pick that he wears in his yeah. hair now and um was that cool back then or was that just like too weird it was it was weird but cool and it got attention and you know i saw dollar signs and shit so i immediately wanted to fuck with amir because i wanted to start i'm an art major right so i started selling hand-painted jackets and jeans like the one he wore and, oh, I, and i started okay. making plaster casts of you know uh, Nefertiti heads and black power fists and selling them you know what i mean to people like you know wanye from boys to men and fucking you know uh, Christian McBride, right? You know, people oh, who they are, went to. They all went to school. Yeah, we went to school with lots of musicians who were also destined for greatness, and that's what got me into the music aspect more than the visual arts major. Like I began to cut. You know, I, I would do my projects 
for my class and then I would I wouldn't go to lunch during my lunch period I would go to whatever music class Amir was in at that time and just sit and be a fly on the wall and you know watch boys to men you know arguing over you know who was going to be the fifth member you know what I'm saying yeah. um and what, what should we call this band you know fucking we're going to call it you know uh you know men to boys no that won't work uh, stuff like they that. made it kind of like when you guys were in high they school, still, it, right? Yeah, while we were still in high school, and, and that's when I really knew, like, yeah, it's fucking on. Like, Boys to Men got a record deal. Yeah, you know, they were doing a music video, and you know, we so, were in it. So, yeah, what was, year we did you graduate? Um, or you would have graduated? Um, Ninety one. Oh, so they made it in ninety, right? Yeah. I mean, ninety one. Like, I remember, like they played like End of the Road at yeah, prom. Yeah, no, they were, the they, were, they were they were like a big deal by the time we we graduated high school. Wanye was in my class. He was in my graduating class, but he also got kicked out. Yeah. Oh, okay. They kicked but, out all the greats. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, he Wanye, you know, he was like there. There was a lead singer of Boys to Men. This guy Mark Nelson originally. And well, they started as a band called Unique Attraction. Oof. And um, you know, there was all the some, boys to men. If I'd never heard of it, yeah, there, like, oof. there was some changing of members. And you know, Mark Nelson, um, his mom had you know brief fame in the music industry at some point, and she advised him against you know fucking with that group of guys. She was like, you know, you're you're Mark Nelson, one of the great yeah. managers and, of all time. Yeah. So um, Mark Nelson's you know, mom. Yeah, he left the band, and that's when kind of Wanye kind of you know uh, came into the forefront. Wanye and Nate, and they all each member had to kind of uh, get his chops up enough to have been the lead singer of Boys to Men, and that's you know why they're so dope now. And know, the original is, song was called "It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Mark Nelson." A lot of that's a rare. That's not. That's an unknown that is, fact. <laughs> And they sold a hundred million records, right? Yeah, they were the biggest thing ever. But they like they sold a hundred of all time. Yeah, a hundred million records. Now, did that mythology? Like canonize itself. In well, Philadelphia. I used to hear that I mean, they weren't that, that. Once they started making it, they were like, mm, "With you guys." Oh, really? Well, you know, yeah. They, I mean, they were just a kind of way with the world. They were fucking balling on yeah. a different level. Yeah, and they were still, you know, teenagers. Yeah, you couldn't have expected them to have this sort of maturity. Yeah, about know, it. Yeah. It was like you know, if we, and they were, you know, if I was fucked up, you know, what I mean, financially, Boys to Men was fucked up. Uh, you know, okay. like they really, if anyone deserved a break, it was Nate. And right. Wanye and like you know, oh, my, their like, child, their backgrounds, yeah, they, their uh-huh. backgrounds were you know just as bad as mine, if not worse. And um, you know, I, I felt like if these kids can make it, really, literally anyone. Well, can. that's what I was saying. Was <laughs> Philadelphia all of a sudden like, oh shit, this is I, anyone can do this? I don't know if Philadelphia became that way, but our, our school, your school did. That's that a trip. Way. You know, and you know, many people did make it, and you know, like Christian McBride, he was a. Uh, he graduated at the age of 15 or 16. He was like just a genius and this brilliant musician. And, you know, he's going on to, he's like the, arguably one of the best jazz bass players ever, you know? Um, and, uh, Joey DeFrancesco, he was playing with Miles Davis after school, you know? So, um, there was, I was inspired by just being immersed in all that. Is it, is it random, like a random fluctuation in time and in Philadelphia? Or do you think there was some, like what, what was it that was making one school have this much sort of brain power yeah i don't know man it was something in, in the water like really you know it was because so many people you know have, just were doing their thing um i'm sure like malcolm gladwell could figure it out 
<laughs> right. I mean, it's like comedy. How you know they there'll be a, a class of people from a city, and all of a sudden, like yeah. all these people are funny from this city, and then the next yeah. generation is like, well, there's no one there. There's but is Gladwell would be able to figure it out based yeah. on what, you know when we all were born, and yeah, you know he would he would be able to do to do that math. The pretzel factor. Um, yeah, okay, so then what did you and Amir do? What did, you saw that and were like, okay, we were like, yo, we gotta fucking do something. So know? were you guys getting better, more professional, doing more shows? We were. Well, we there was this huge uh, uh, annual production that was the school put on called Sentimental Journey, and uh, yeah, we <laughs> yeah we get ready for Sentimental Journey every year, and you know you would kind of go up against whoever was the hot act in the school, and that it, that would always mean you know the Roots and Boys to Men. Or, you know, whatever we were calling ourselves at the time and whatever they were calling them, themselves. And, uh, yeah, it just, uh, you know, we started playing like the, the talent show circuit in Philadelphia. We would go to other schools and, you know, play against, you know, they, you know their artists. If they, if, if they would allow outside students to, like, compete, we would go and compete. And we would always, you know, try and, you know, just do something really big uh, make a grand entrance and you know we were all, we would always catch people off guard with the fact that we were live instrumentation and Amir would walk through the audience you know playing the drums and we would follow him looking really weird and um it was always you know eye catching and ear catching and um that you know kind of led to a little popularity you know in Philadelphia on that scene if the, if if you can consider it yeah. a scene the Philadelphia and then how did you get high school and college t- talent show circuit how did you get from there to you know doing shows and getting a record deal and all that um well when i when i was selling crack poorly mm-hmm. um i was i met uh one of my father's brothers who i i'd never met like one day I was out on the corner selling drugs and my uncle, who's a, uh, you know, super militant, uh, Muslim, my uncle, Lukman, uh, he came and, you know, he, he wanted to have a conversation with me and I was, you know, I didn't, I was kind of scared of my uncle, Lukman. You he, knew he was your uncle though? Yeah. I knew he was my uncle, but. Just the name alone had, is scary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he had and, the uh, Philly beard? Yeah. Always. He's always, yeah. he invented that beard. <laughs> yeah, his name, his name is Ernest Lukman. Dude, so, right, so there is like a Muslim tinge to that beard. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Because so, there's like a f- specific f- dude in Philly who wears a beard like that. So he would sit you down. and He would say, "Look, man, you got to get your shit." Together. <laughs> Look, man, it's not working, man. <laughs> you're after yo. This the crack game is not for you, man. No, but he came and he said, basically, you know, you're 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 moving. Like you're leaving your grandmother's house today, and you know. Your bags are packed and you're moving to Michigan. And I was like, "What? Do I got here? I got crack to sell. I got to go to work tomorrow." And um, he was like, "No, you know, you're you're moving." And he, you know, made an offer that I couldn't refuse. In the way that, you know, he, he and my father would make offers to people back in the day. And it was like I knew he was serious. It was like, "Yo, fucking, either we're, I'm taking you out of this element right now, or I w- I would rather just take you out." Period. And um, you know, so I left. I went. I, I'm. I don't even remember if I went back home. I think I left the crack strip and went to the airport and got on my first flight and went to Detroit. And when I landed, another man who looked a lot like my uncle Luke Mon was like, "Hey, what's up? I'm your uncle Cliff. Yeah, you know, you can be staying with me." <laughs> and I was like, "Fuck, this shit is crazy." You're 16. I was like 14. I was 15. Okay. I, was I love 15. that Luke Mon's 
offer to get you off of the streets was to send you to Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Like, I mean, we're going to get you no, into safety. In, in, in his defense, it wasn't Detroit. It was the suburbs. It was Southfield, Michigan. Got it. And Southfield, you know, now Southfield is kind of the hood. But back then, it wasn't. I, my uncle lived across the street from Mr. Ross, whose daughter was Diana. Got it. You know, so I, I moved there and I felt he, he had a fucking swimming pool. Like, you know, I didn't have a driver's license yet. He gave me a little piece of shit car and let me drive it. And I hit our mirror back like, yo, I'm the fucking fresh prince of Bel Air now. And, you know, I'm never, I'm not coming back to Philly. And our mirror, he had no idea that I had moved. Like, we had, we would pool our, our resources and pay for studio time at great expense. And this was one of those nights where we were supposed to be working on our demo. So, I, like, my schedule that day was sell crack. No, it was work at the old folks' home, sell crack, and then go to the recording studio. And I worked at the old folks' home, and I sold crack, but I never made it to the studio. And Amir was there, like, hmm, yeah. what the fuck's going on? So he finally, he calls my grandmother, and, you know, he's trying to get in touch with my mom. And he finally, you know, call, gets in touch with my grandmother, who's like, oh, Tariq, he's, uh, he's never coming back home. I heard he went to the graveyard and sat in your dad's grave. <laughs> like, <"Yo." laughs> She's like, with a Ouija board? That's what I heard. Like, coming yeah. back home, and she gave him my number in in Michigan. He called me like, uh, hey, Tariq, wh- uh, what the fuck? Yeah. You know? And I, all I, I couldn't explain. I was just like, yo, I'm, I, I'm the fucking Fresh Prince, man. Yeah. You know? And I thought I was going to stay there you know, forever just because it was it was sweet. It was cushy. I had, like, the whole basement uh, of a beautiful home was mine. And we immediately went out and purchased all sorts of furniture and shit, like, and you know, I spared no expense. I got all the shit that I always wished I had in my room in South. And Philly. your uncle paid for it. Then my uncle paid for it. He was like just balling on another level. You know what I mean? So um, it was it was it was kind of dope until I began to interact with my uncle's stepdaughter, who was like the black sheep of that you know family, and she was really like she had a bunch of gangster Detroit like this is when Detroit was the murder capital yeah and you know they were about that you know murder life and she was fucked with the bad boys and you know uh she was like a, a catch to them because she came from a household that had some dough and yeah. she had a BMW and you know all of the shit that you look back in the 80s and say oh wow you know how did those kids afford that those huge gold chains and earrings and you know all of that like she was about that life in Detroit and you know my uncle and his wife would want to they distance distance themselves from her because of that because they had a lot to lose you know they like what were they doing for work uh, risk management got it and um, you know they were they they found a bubble and were making dough doing that shit. And they would often leave for two weeks at a time to go to some island. And then I would just be there by myself. And when they left, they would say stuff like, you know, uh, you know, we're going on vacation. Don't let Dion in in the in the house. <laughs> you know, and uh, she grew up in that house. This was her house. I'd been there for like two three months at the time and they're like if she knocks on the door just ignore her what, why did they take you in B- because of i mean i know they're your uncle it's your uncle but still that's quite a i mean they they were family and you know my, my father was the youngest of three brothers and uh it was he at that point he had only been murdered uh you know 14 15 years ago so uh you know there was a, i guess they had a soft spot mm-hmm. and you know they they took me in and i mean i did them dirty like i would steal shit from them and fucking you know they would get 
you know, nice mail mail order clothing and shit that my uncle would order, and I would just open the shit up, and it would be something that I, if I couldn't do anything with, I would trash it, <laughs> and, or I would keep it and just wear it to school, and he'd be like, "Hey, I ordered uh, some polka dot suspenders, Tariq. Have you have you seen those?" And I'd be like, "Nah, huh. what you talking about? Fuck out of here!" And I would have them. You know, I was a pretty bad kid and shit. Just like you just didn't know any better. It, yeah, I was a fucking scorpion. Yeah. You know, you heard, you heard the story of the fucking frog yeah. and the scorpion, right? Yeah. I was a scorpion. It's like, yeah, yeah. I take shit. And, you know, um, you know, so, yeah, I had explicit instructions never to let my cousin, who was my father, my uncle's stepdaughter, into her home. So she would often be there. And if they weren't home, I would just be at the door like, I, I'm not, I can't let you in. Like, I'm not fucking this up for myself. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing I never did was let her in when they had advised me not to. And, you know, she hated me for that. So um, when she at times when she was allowed in the house, there was a super, super tension that you could cut with a knife in the air. And one day she tried to cut the tension with a knife. (laughs) And that's and it was on Thanksgiving. And I was like, you know, I was I always could cook really well. So I think I was like. Showing my uncle and I, like, you know, some recipes for the of meal. Of course that, you were. Wow. How come? Yeah, yeah. Of course I, you're a chef. By that yeah. time, I worked in mad fucking restaurants. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was, like, showing them how to fucking cook something. And, you know, she just thought, you know, he, he swears he's the shit in here, you know, with his cooking ass. And uh, she, you know, grabbed one of these knives and tried to tried to stab me. And Literally she, and came at, like, she came lunch at me that and, you and missed me by, you know, you know, fractions of an inch and before my uncle was able to separate us. And, you know, she, you know, she her, 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 her uh, shank game was kind of kind of weak it was yeah i mean it was weak it it was it was on point but not on point enough luckily (laughs) did she like yell anything as she was doing it Um, that's what i'm always like ah was it like i think i think she said motherfucker yeah like you know and and you're the turkey she lunged right right, she lunged on fucker it was like motherfucker like you know yeah apropos of nothing like you didn't explain any it was just like you were like so you put a nice brine and a brown sugar and rosemary motherfucker exactly like that and i'm like whoa (laughs) and i you know i fucking to to this day i have ptsd you know just from my neighborhood there was always gunshots outside sometimes people will be shooting from your porch you know and uh, I heard you can't cook a turkey to this day. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> so my re- my reflexes were you know up to par. Yeah. And luckily, so you know I was I was used to fearing for my fearing you know that I'd be stabbed. I just out of out of nowhere. So you know when that day came and shit, I was I was able to just dodge enough and I wasn't cut. Like, but she would I, she was trying to take me out. That's crazy. It was, it was crazy. So, did you then leave Detroit? I then left Detroit. I left Detroit shortly after that. Like I by your own. Yeah, like, like I, I said, I said, you know what? I'm, I have to come back to Philadelphia. It, it's not. It's less safe for me here now. If I'm gonna get stabbed. It's right. Gonna be but what a exactly. trip! Thank God she went after you with a knife, or there wouldn't be the roots. Exactly. I mean, you know, you'd be living I, in a basement somewhere in Detroit. We, we would still communicate, like you know, on the phone, and we would still work on music, but you know, we just hadn't recorded stuff in many, many months because I was in Michigan at that time. And um, yeah, when I when when my family agreed that I could move back to Philadelphia, the terms were I couldn't move back into the same neighborhood that I had been living in, which was South Philly, which was really crazy. So I had to move into an apartment that was over top of my grandparents. My grandpa, my father's parents owned a duplex that at one point my mother and I had lived in. And then we moved out and moved to, you know, the hood hood. So now this is my return back to that nice apartment. And the terms were I could live there rent free as long as, you know, I paid all my utilities. And as long as I accept, uh, I applied to and were accepted to was accepted to uh, a college 
Great. So I was like, man, that's shit, nothing sweet. to you. you know, yeah, I got fucking, a job. Yeah. I don't have to pay no rent and shit. I just fucking I pay my phone bill, my electric bill, and just you know, ball. I commute to school. So for a long time, uh, I commuted from this part of the city known as Mount Airy to you know thirty forty minutes away to South Philly because I felt comfortable going to South Philly High because that's where I grew up. Um, but it was a, that was not that high school was like Eastside High on Lean on Me. And, you know, folks would get shot at their lockers and, you know, you could get into uh, an argument with someone who would come back to school the next day and kill you. You know, so um, I didn't stay there very long, you know what I mean? Um, because I, I, I guess I, I, w- I wasn't meant to. So, at you know, after a semester or so back at South Philly High, something said, you know, I should just uh, transfer to the high school that was closer to where I was living now. And that was Germantown. And that also happened to be my father's uh, high school alma mater. And, you know, it was sentimental, sentimental value and um, sentimental journey. Yeah, it was, it was a sentimental, <laughs> sentimental journey. journey. And I went back to Germantown. <laughs> so like my Unique last, my last, uh, my last semester of 11, like the last month or so of 11th grade. And then the whole year of 12th grade, I went to Germantown High, but also during the last month of 11th grade, when I come back from Detroit, that's when my mother was murdered, you know, so that was just some crazy life-changing shit, and, you know, uh, just another another blow that I was Yeah, did you, at that point, were you so rough and, like, uh, callous that you were just like, fuck, like, you kind of almost took it in stride, or was it, like, heartbreaking? I mean, it, it was both. I took it in stride because... You know, so I lost so many people, you know, so many relatives, so many friends, you know, you fucking, you ask what's up with them one day and then someone who, you know, are, who knows is like, oh, you didn't hear, you know, like they, that person is, is dead. Somebody fucking, you know, put him in the trunk of a car or somebody, that kid got his head chopped off. They, that kid was, you know, they tied him up on the train track. Like this is shit that was a reality. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was definitely callous and, uh, you know, jaded and. I, I was kind of so over my mom being a drug addict anyway, and we would often have to go and find her. You know, fucking, she would disappear for a couple of days, and we, you know, you start looking in the the at the precinct, and then you know you go to the hospitals, and then you know the natural progression is you start searching the morgues, and you know this particular time we went from you know the jail to the hospital and to the morgue, and there was an unidentified body that was there, and it happened to have been my mother, and you know. Uh, I was living on my own over top of my grandparents and I was working at a, this place called the data group, which did market research. Like, you know, just cold calling people for like Johnson and Johnson products or something. And, um, you know, so I didn't really have that much. I was, my time was really occupied just with school and my job. So I, I dove into that and, you know, they'd offered to give me lots of time off to kind of get myself together, but I opted out of it and I just kept coming to work. And, um, again, just, you know, that work ethic has always been what, kind of took me out of the reality of you know what my life was and uh i didn't i didn't even cry when we found out that my mother was i didn't cry until the the moment i saw her casket being lowered into the ground you know it was just it you know one of those things but i felt like she was in a better place you know and you know she was kind of out of her you know what she was going through because she was at that point just dealing with some really serious did you see her as more like a sister after a while was it one of those things or you always saw her as a mom I always saw her as a mom because, you know, I, I had I had better, you know, for my own good. Like, you know, even you know, even as a crack fiend mama, <laughs> still was a black queen, you know. Like, yeah. she, my, my mom would fuck me up. I remember one time my mom had come home just from hanging out, and she had a, 
she had I, she was I was at my grandmother's house and she had come you know, back from like running the streets and she had on like a tank top that was tied down at the bottom so her midriff was exposed and she had on some tight cut off jeans and you know it was summertime South Philly and I just felt like it was age inappropriate and you know I was tired of her fucking you know coming in the house you know looking like a, uh, dressed like a teenager so I spoke on it and you know I shouldn't have because I learned a lesson that day like fucking crack fiends and still whip that ass yeah. and, you know my mother and grandmother they put me into the lazy boy and reclined it all the way so I couldn't get out and they just like commenced to whooping on me with both like, of them my, both of them but I think <laughs> oh I think God. I think what, what they the actually straw, looked at each other and were like are we no, doing this the straw that oh, broke goodness. the camel's back was I was having this heated discussion with my mom and she got into my face I got in her face she pushed me I pushed her back. And when I pushed her back. To the lazy boy. Exactly. Before my arm, before my arm was drawn back from that, you know, reach, I was, you know, in, in recline mode, just getting fucked up with like a uh, candy dish and, you know, just up. household items. Yeah. yeah. With, Remote whatever, control. With the first sure. thing they could reach and they fucked me up and, you know, um, that kind of. They broke a picture of Malcolm X over your head. Pretty correct? much. That shit like reminded me like, you know, you know I, they I, went I, to I, Detroit, I'm, I'm the got child. Dion. You know, I'm the child. Yeah. You know, she's the the adult, and I was in. You know, it was it was nowhere near my place to speak on. You know, whatever the fuck she wanted to wear, or however she wanted, you know, chose to live her life. So, Did you? And you never feel sorry for you. I mean, like, I gotta say, if I had like a quarter of this, I'd feel sorry for myself. I know, man, but you know, I I never felt sorry for myself. I was it kind of a thing where it's like if I start grieving and feeling sorry for myself, I'll never stop. So I might as well just keep moving. Exactly. I I had already seen what that could lead to in very many people family members and you know just guys from the block and you know people who were destined to do something who just had fucked it up and where do you think it leads to alcoholism and drug addiction or, yeah, alcoholism or? drug addiction prison and and, and death you, you know? in other words sort of the real confronting of some of the trauma of living in these circumstances is the thing that continues those circumstances absolutely that's interesting absolutely one time i shot up this crack house um, because I couldn't get my mother to leave. Like I would go, like sometimes, you know, uh, say it's the third of the month and my benefit check had come and I'm ready to go, you know, cash my check and shit, you know, and, but I can't do it because it's in my mother's name. So now I have to go and find which drug house she's hanging out in. And sometimes, you know, she would be like, you know, get out of here, but I'm partying. You know what I'm saying? And I'd be like, yo, trying to pull her out. And then, you know, other people who lived in the house would be trying to pull her back in. And you know, so this one time I went and found my mom in this house. I wanted her to come and cash my check. And, you know, she refused to leave. And, you know, I came back with a pistol and I just fucking shot into the house. And I knew my mother was in there and I knew I very well may hit someone. I just didn't give a fuck. You know, um, just just that much anger. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a like a physicalizing of that grief that you're not processing emotionally. Absolutely. I mean, do Absolutely. you think that's what hit, what is so important about hip hop in, in terms of that whole um, you know Q Tip Iggy kind of conversation about how important hip hop is to the black community? Is like on some weird level, especially your lyrics are so kind of emotionally intense. It's like a processing of some of the grief from growing up in these crazy ass communities. And- um, absolutely. I, absolutely, I mean, you know, I know there are many, many artists have had it a, a, a way more rough way to go than than I have. Mm. And I mean, you know, some you, you'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised. But, it's just, but hip hop has this ability to say it's appropriate and okay for me to speak on the shit that I've been through. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and well, that's, that's the thing. It's like brothers never go to therapy. Exactly. This is our therapy. So yeah. it's, it's it's cathartic to be able to you know to to just fucking vent. Right. You know? 
Do you not think that there is a better way, though? As well, a, the problem a, is not everybody is a great MC. <laughs> like right, some people right. don't. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. Uh, like as a someone who goes to a lot of therapy and all that shit, I feel like there's got. I mean, I find it effective in a way that I don't know if rapping ever could be. You know what I mean? Right. Like, do yeah. you find that you do do things that are like still like, oh, this is a coping. Like the fact that you guys work so hard, yeah. I'm starting to think like there's a reason for that. Yeah, I think I I, I can see that. I um, can see that. Because I mean, but you walk through the doorway that's there, right? I mean, it's like if therapy's not culturally or phys- or literally ac- uh, accessible then you just you you know you figure you, out a way to talk you, about you it on over a beat exactly. yeah but now you're a guy who could to go about it other ways right i mean i go to therapy but i, I go to therapy more for marital ah got it great you know and you know i just don't have an i don't i don't, I don't have the I, I don't have the time really to go to marriage counseling but I, I do it because it keeps my wife happy and you know like it maintains the peace in my household but i couldn't i couldn't pencil in another shrink yeah shit. like i just don't have, fucking all of my time goes to nbc yeah you know but uh, that is also like i don't even know if it's optimism but you're you know your father passed away your mother passed away and still it sounds like to me to correct me if i'm wrong you're still like fuck it something great is going to happen for me yeah yeah Do, and you of, never felt like boy this is fucking hard i've always felt like it's hard but i've also felt like you know no one, nothing worth, you know, uh, the reward is ever easy. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, I just uh, always have, have kind of soldiered on, you know. And what, how does that, how many kids do you have? I have five kids. And how does this, um, do you have goals as a father? Like, like, do you, like coming up the way you came up, is it, are, do you have goals in terms of like, I'm never going to disappoint my kids. I'm never going to not be that. Like, are the, is there a thing of like a list of things you don't want to do as a um, result? I mean, there is a list of things that that you know you don't want to do, and and the list that you know, I guess there's a list that no father you know wants to do. Mm-hmm. But you know, what what maybe has taken more precedence for me in my relationship with my children is the fact that they're uh, that they're afforded you know the ability to do whatever it is that they want to do, and the fact that I don't. Uh, want to impress upon them the path that they should kind of take because um you know I feel like I was able to to you know, make my way on my you know on my own terms and I feel like you know uh, look, look, you know I'm a success story so uh you know there are very many I, I just want to be supportive in whatever endeavor and uh yeah I don't want to necessarily uh control you know, with the direction in which the, any of my children are, are going to go, you know, so you just make sure you can pay for yeah, it and yeah, take make care sure of it. that, you know, fucking I can pay my child support and I can pay all my bills. And, you know, when, if there's something that my kids want to do, uh, go out for this team or, you know, this group or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm able to do that and, and be supportive. So do you like the music that your kids listen to? No, no, my kids listen to shit music, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I don't, because I'm, I don't have that much time for uh, much of a family life. You know, very much of my family interaction consists of bringing them along, you know, at whatever time is convenient for them to come to work with me. Because I always work. You know, we're we're not at NBC. We still, we're still the roots. And we still, we have very many gigs that are like locked in now, like annual reoccurring things that we do every year. And, you know, that eats up, you know, the remaining, what, eight weeks of the year that we have that we're not doing Fallon. So, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a gift and a curse, you know, but, um, 
What's your, what are your, um, what have been like the highlight? What's your favorite moments of being, being in the roots? Um, one of my favorite moments of being in the roots is crazy. It's, uh, we, there's a festival in, in Copenhagen, Denmark called, uh, Ross Guild. And, you know, we mispronounce it. We call it Ross Gilda. So, uh, you know, the Ross Gilda festival, um, it was one of the first huge, huge music festivals that we played uh, in Europe when we were, you know, this is 94, you know, um, you know, and we were played. And you guys are three years out of high school at that point. Yeah. And, you know, wow. and we, we may have just signed our record deal or not because we started doing these festivals before we had a deal. Um, so we're doing just this, by word of mouth kind of thing. By word of mouth. And, you know, we were becoming so popular playing on the street in Philly that, uh, yeah, folks would approach us and offer us, you know, random gigs. And one of one of those people who approached us was uh, a a guy who was a bass, a jazz bassist, who was like the poster child for this festival in Germany called the Merz Music Festival. And he was a Muslim. He went to the same temple as parents of Malik, who was the, uh, one, another one of the MCs in the Roots. And uh, he approached us and said, "Hey, I got this gig for you guys. It pays four thousand dollars." And it's, you know, in Germany. You guys have to go to Germany to do it. And, you know, we were doing $400 gigs at the time. So we're like, let me get this straight. You're going to pay for our flight in our hotel, and we go to Germany and get $4,000? This is before anybody outside of Philly really knew who you were. Exactly. And so that's what really, you know, the Germans came to watch us perform, like, in a small apartment. We did a full-on concert just for, like, two people. And they were like... Yeah, I like it. Yes, yes. it will do. Yes, it will do. So they they booked us, and you know that gig. You know they started asking us, okay, what will you do for the merch? And we like, what the fuck is merch? The, the merchandise. What will you sell with the band name? You will have T-shirts. You will have a CD. You know? Beer cozies, right? Lampshades. So oh no, decided, not that. We decided that we had to record something. So we could sell it at uh-huh. the merchandise tables. And that led to us going into the studio to record Organics, which was, you know, the, the, the demo that we had never officially completed. So, you know, we did this demo. Are you the roots or are you the square roots? We're, at, we're that the point? Square, we're, at the beginning of the recording process, we were still the square roots. And then when we came to the copyright stage, you know, we realized that someone owned that name and we could not be called the square roots professionally. But... Strangely enough, on the record, I only refer to the Square Roots as the Roots. The Roots the, is the, a better the, name, too. The, yeah, the, the first song on the album is called The Roots is Coming. And, you know, then after we couldn't copyright the Square Roots, we were just like, yo, fuck it. Like, what do we call ourselves? Um, Soulfish? Oh, my no, God. Let's just go with The Roots. Sentimental and, you know, expressions? It just, it, <laughs> just, it just made the most sense. And I felt like, you know, that was something that was destined. Because like, there's no how it was. It, it, yeah. Serendipity was just on right. a fucking fleek. You know? Serendipity on fleek? <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Got the serendipity going up. So, um, yeah, you know, we just we became uh, The Roots and shit. And that CD, which was our demo. You know, real fans consider that our first album. And do you? All right. So when you went to Germany and did the show, were you? You got okay. That's what I wanted to ask. Was there? Did Amir growing up around performing and doing live shows with his parents? Did that give you guys a leg up in terms of live performing? I feel like it did. I feel like Amir has always been. Amir was the musical director of his family band. Yeah. You know, he's always just had a. a 
an eye for you know the detail in a performance you know amir grew up you know in a, a household that was very sheltered because he lived in a really fucked up neighborhood too like you i don't know if you remember the move incident in philadelphia yeah. in 1985 that was amir's street yeah so you know he lived what's down the name the, of the documentary uh I, I, I don't know there's one there's a documentary that's about on netflix this. about the move house in, in 19, it was basically like 1985. a black separatist movement in philly yeah and they fucking dropped they a dropped bomb, a bomb, on bomb it from a helicopter, oh, from yeah. a police helicopter. And, you know, they, they destroyed an entire community. And that was the community that Amir lived in. So it was so much crazy shit going on outside of his house that his parents kept him in the house, like kept him locked in the house with gates on the windows, gates on the door. You know, I would often stay over there. And uh, when we're ready to leave, if you can't find the key to unlock the padlock of the gate, you're just fucking stuck in the house. Standing inside. Yeah, exactly. So he occupied himself uh, you know, with – he would study uh, Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine and you know, read every interview and watch. You and know, he would practice his ass off he, he, as well. he would always have to practice yeah. every day. He practiced, Like his dad made him he practice. He practiced as a music major in school all day. And then he got home and I would call him at 4 in the afternoon and his dad would be like – Amir's practicing. Like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Don't call my house no more and hang up. And um, he would, Amir would study microfiche of the fucking, you know, his favorite musicians. And he was always just super into the detail of the, you know, the the nuances of the recording and of the performance. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that Which definitely. makes him annoying because he's a know-it-all. Yeah. That, but, but it also it makes him a musician. Yeah. yeah. So, that, right. you know. That, Were you ever feeling at any point feeling like. The music is too much. Let's just make some fucking street music. I have. I have, you know, because, um, again, you know, I've always had that. There's always been like an underlying concern with just my credibility. You know, it's like, I, you know, I've, I don't want to be a nerd. I don't want to be a fucking, uh, you know, an outcast. You know, but we've in, in retrospect, we very much were just, you know, b- through existence. You know, just the fact that we were who we were made us fucking outcasts and shit. Well, but, that's the thing is like having work with, with James and Amir on we did made shit for Chappelle show and like they James and Amir made a beat a good beat in 20 minutes Absolutely. and I was like well why don't you guys do that and just sell beats to dumb it's, rappers it's, it's and they were like because it's not even a yeah. right consider like it's well, we, it's beneath us right it's like serendipity goes both ways right yeah. it, it sets you up in this way you want and also sometimes like you go well this is the tune that's playing exactly no pun intended right so th- let's go with yeah, it you have to go with it so i mean that's kind of you know where we were with it and uh yeah but that that uh work ethic on stage and in the studio that was instilled into amir through you know his family background definitely immediately carried over into what we were doing in our band you know and uh, it was a different type of discipline but i was i was a different type of discipline person period you know so i mean it just worked out so but you went to you went to germany yeah we went to germany we sold you know the thousand cds that we had pressed up to take over there they floated around europe people began to you know express interest in signing us we signed uh you know uh uh, an ep deal with a a british company called talking loud which is you know superstar dj giles peterson Mm -hmm. he was the he was that was his company at the at the time and we did this uh, ep that would lead up to our geffen records release uh, on which uh, I think out of eight songs, five were were like five songs reappeared on our Geffen album. Got but it. there were three songs that were only 
for the the UK EP. What's the what's the first album? The Geffen is that? The, it's called Do You Want Do You More? Want More? It, just, yeah, okay. it turned twenty years old uh, three weeks ago. Right. That was when that was when I my brother was I was a West Coast hip hop okay person, gangster rap and my brother went to school on the east coast and started he was like there's this band with musical instruments and right. and that was the first album that that's why i saw i saw you so long ago in new york oh we, nice yeah yeah and so there's that, a guy that, that was here it. he practices all he the time he looks yeah. at microfiche yeah there's I'm another guy Tariq. he sells pretzels <laughs> and the crack and the um, yeah, did, I, but that I, was already I, a sell a pretzel and I said you want some crack that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was an intense record right there was a song on there where you guys do the same verse like four times yeah, right yeah, like it's, I mean, it's, it's because it's, it's a lazy afternoon right oh, that's so it was, yeah that's, I was so lazy that afternoon that we'll do it four times he wrote one verse man I said you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna deliver this verse three different ways and shit you know it was like you know, fucking the way a chef would do like fucking crab three ways or something right yeah um okay so so then the band let's all right so the the all the stuff about the band sort of succeeding is fairly well traveled but i guess i'm curious about your relationship with amir over the years because i know you i mean it's like you guys are 20 any 25 year relationship is do you almost expect an ebb and flow um yeah i definitely expect it and um you know, rightfully so, because that's, that's, you know, we, we've ironed out all, all the kinks, you know, um, we've kind of learned to, to coexist, you know, peacefully and, you know, in, uh, fairly, you know, um, so we, we, we rarely argue like Amir and I, we, we, we rarely disagree just because, you know, we kind of know in the, in the, like when you're, when we're coming up with an idea, I, there's something in my sub psyche that immediately knows whether or not Amir is going to fuck with this, and and it works that way for him too. So, you know, the ideas that we present to one another as they relate to the roots, we're almost always on the same page because you know we've gone through the whole fisticuffs and you know just oh I bet knock down drag out arguments and shit before. So there's you know it's like we've already been counseled on it. So just strangely enough. There is an ebb and flow. Like you figured out a way to you can come to the compromise before you even yeah yeah before you have to fight. You see what I just did there? You didn't even have to. Finish yeah, it. yeah. So thank we, you. We do that. Yeah, and um, did you? Okay, so explain your influence on the whole that whole movement in terms of Kanye, Kwali, most. All those guys, like so, you guys were the first people. Were you the first people to sign from that group to get a deal? Um, no, no. Um, but we were the first people from that group to get, uh, you know, such a major. Deal. Like we were on Geffen Records, which at the time was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a sub- a, a subsidiary that they called DGC. Like it eventually became that the David Geffen Company. Yeah. But um, you know, yeah. So we so ha- having signed with Def- with Geffen Records, which we had always dreamed that we would sign with Def Jam, and yeah. we were really close to signing with Def Jam out of the box. And then Mercury came with a sweet deal, and it was really sweet people there. And I really liked Mercury. I wanted to sign with Mercury, but then uh, you know, Geffen came just with you know a more lucrative deal business wise. So we took it, and um, I think the role that I played was. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys came from places, um, came from New York, you know, 
and uh, you know, New York was the home of hip hop. You know, I mean, excluding uh, Common, who you know, Common already had his deal. I guess around the same time as us, mm-hmm. he was coming from Chicago, which is a little different. But um, you know, a lot of those guys who were from New York, um, I saw them as definitely my friends, my peers, but always as a threat. You know, so I think they like my 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 you know uh, uh, peers in the game kind of learned early on that uh, I was. I intended to be a force to be reckoned with, you know, like no matter what. So, um, you know, I always took like the lyricism just really seriously and always took, you know, being able to make up songs on the spot really seriously. And, you know, for a long time, lots of a, a great portion of the Roots Live performance was improv. We would come out, come out and the, the guys would play something. I don't know what the fuck they're going to play and they don't know what I'm going to say, but it becomes a concert, you know. So um, I think. I kind of raised the bar for uh, my contemporaries, you know, in that way. It was like, oh, shit, you know, like, fucking maybe we could stand to be more, you know, professional. We could stand to, you know, take our craft more seriously. And, you know, I feel like that's the effect that, you know, that that I I left. Was there a fashion influence also? Um, I would like to think so now, but my fashion was whack back then. Yeah, when I look at those photos and, you know, the footage of us performing, it was just, I mean, hip-hop fashion was whack. Yeah. You know, what year are we talking about? Um, The 90s. The 90s. You know, and, like, clothes were just all huge. I was, like, growing dreadlocks, but I, I wasn't, I was, like, a fake Rasta, you know, and, you know, there was lots of athletic wear mixed with, you know, fucking... Checkers and shit. neon. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it just wasn't, you know, uh, I don't think that we had we were the fashion influence. We've always been ugly and been a motley crew, but, you know, we kind of, the proof is in the pudding of the musicianship with us. Right. Is there, do you feel like at this point, so you guys had a huge discography, you had the Tonight Show band, you got one of the best live shows in hip-hop, if not the best, and you had a huge hit. Mm. Is there what's left for you musically that you haven't done that you wish, you want to, to do? Um, I mean, it, it seems like so much more. It's like, you know, I, we still don't feel like we've arrived. There's so much more shit that I want to do, that Amir wants to do, that, you know, now the other musicians who have come into the fold, you know, want to do and, and are able to contribute, you know, that, uh, you know, we just feel like this can't be the end of of that stage of our lives. And that's why we devote so much time when we could very well just be chilling because we're tired from Fallon. We, you know, we devote that time with, you know, we devote that time to recording more and performing more and our mirrors now you know fucking djs more than he does anything and you know i'm i'm working on fashion shit and i'm about to do a cooking show and you know, it was just so much more that i feel like we have to offer that doesn't necessarily fit within the roots brand now you know that's so, not necessarily music right yeah that's that's not necessarily music and yeah. and, and, and that's also music is dion gonna, gonna be your co-host too. for the cooking show <laughs> that would be funny. That'll be amazing featuring dion if she tastes it and it's not good like the dramatic motherfucker yeah yeah you just have to stand there when she taste tests and she's like you put white pepper in you motherfucker wait no uh, well, that's the benefit of being on uh, I mean, that's like the your microphone's never been your reach has never been right. greater. Right. I, don't, I mean, I think it's magnified your your reach by I, a Tenfold. factor of five. Yeah. I mean, that's like, what's it's, so interesting to me is like with the music being as subversive and 
you know sort of out of the box as it as it is and was and that you're now you can do a cooking show it's that the crazy, roots man. could have that even as an option it's crazy and I, and I, and that that's what fucking amazes me man it never ceases to amaze me because i think like you know don't you know like what we do don't you know like who we are and what i say and you know but i mean i guess you know, it, at the end of the day but i don't think that it's that simple yeah, Meaning, yeah, I don't think it's saying. as simple as like, not what don't you know to. what I say? It's like, yeah, I, I'm with you nine hours a day. Yeah. I know what you're like. Right. Like, yeah. I, it's not, you guys are not in well, so person. There's what not. What is Jay Z doing at the White House? Exactly. Like, yeah. Compared to his discography, it's like, you, this person should not be on the approved list exactly. in any government funding. I mean, maybe that's just the way things are now, or maybe that's, I, I, I don't know what it is. It is. I, and I feel the same way, you know, because we, you know, we're on, very, we're on that list too. We right. Obama. If you asked him who his band was, he he'd say the Roots, right? And I just feel like that's you. Know, I shouldn't be allowed to be that. Yeah, you know. But fucking, you know, we are. Yep. Um, from, from a basement in Detroit to the White House. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's fucking awesome, man. And yeah, and it it's is. it's you know it's a great story. It's I mean, a weirdly it's a really, yeah. It's a weirdly American story too. And some, I mean, I'm not a big America guy, but it's like what a weird kind of you know arc narrative arc know. you know i know it's fucking crazy but it's also like what you guys it's that's the the you are one you're all those things do you know what i mean like yeah. you are subversive and you're also like a showman and you like yep. white people yeah. and then you don't like white people yeah. right right like there's it's like there's so many it's multifaceted it's not just like it sounds like the through line though is work yeah, yeah absolutely Absolutely. That's, that's the yeah. The most important thing, you know, for me is is is, is work. And you know, thank thank God, <laughs> thank God for that. Right. Yeah. That's what I would say. It's like the key to li- hard. The key to life is hard work, and that stinks. <laughs> yeah. Because right. hard work it's is fucking shit, hard. But, yeah. The keto of some part of life. I mean, there. I know there are lazy people out there that are enjoying the fuck out of their lives. Yeah. I but know. they're just not doing anything with it. Yeah. Either. But success is ninety percent predicated on hard work. It right. Is. It is. Uh, all right. So that's it, man. Cool, man. This yeah. is dope. That yeah. was great. No, man. that was great. And I'm sure. I hope Amir learned some stuff because he wanted. <laughs> he was like, just ask him the. Ah. <laughs> he may not want to know, but yeah. So all right, Amir. I hope you had fun. So listen, watch the Tonight Show. <laughs> yeah, watch Tonight Show every night at eleven thirty-five. Yeah, I'm gonna start calling myself Doctor Black on the Tonight Show <laughs> now. Doctor Black. <laughs> uh, all right, peace, man. Now you're fucking with the champs. Once in a life
little bit like mine. I'm thinking not now, but right now. I need some kind of sign that the future is bright now. I fuck around, do the right thing like spite now. The quick and the dead. Which one is my look alike now? I'm moving ahead. Oh, man. She was a thief, you got to believe 